As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. We are intently focused on Affirmation Tower. I mean, that project is an opportunity to make an international statement about Black economic development. Do you think is they're going to continue to try to block you guys from doing the Affirmation Tower? You know, why they're blocking, I don't know. But if you think about this struggle that we're in, it pales in comparison to the struggles what our ancestors and those who came before me had to do to make me possible. So we will not relent at all. Speed my rants and gems. Be my rants and gems. gems. Y'all can do what we discover. He's doing the kings and the queens where the mother lie. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Rants and Gems. My name is Matt Garland, NMLS number 58700, better known as MG the Mortgage Guy. Today, we have a special episode. Kiana is not with us today, but she's here in spirit. Um, but we're going to have a dynamic conversation. I met this gentleman for the first time at InvestFest this past year in Atlanta. He was on my real estate panel with Donahue Peoples. And it was an amazing conversation that I had to run the back and talk about everything. The managing director for Exact Capital. Exact Capital has been developing housing, specifically in urban areas, for the past 20 plus years. They've developed over $1 billion in commercial and residential projects and over 5,000 units. Ladies and gentlemen, Let's give a warm round of applause for Craig Liverston. Matt, it's great to be here today, man. Thank yes. you so much for having us. No problem. Um, yeah, so we've been at this for a while. Uh-huh. And we uh, really focus at Exact Capital on what we call public-private partnerships. Okay. Uh, we like to engage with government. And as you know, a lot of times government will invest a lot of money into projects uh, to generate a certain outcome. They want to develop affordable housing. They want to seed an industry in a particular area or they want to transform a neighborhood. And we're very happy to uh, venture along with government, but we are a for-profit enterprise and we do it on a for-profit basis. Incredible, 5,000 units and over $1 billion. Yeah. That's, um, that's not something to take too lightly. So let's talk about, let's rewind this. Let's talk about your first deal. First of all, who is Craig? Let's give a little bit about your background for the people who don't know right, who so you are. I'm traditionally trained. Uh, I'm a financier. I mm-hmm. uh, went to University of Connecticut um, for undergrad, Columbia for business school, 
And when I completed business school, I ventured to Wall Street, spent some time there. And, uh, you know, the folks of my generation, all the brothers who went to business school read a book called Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun? Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun? It was the autobiography of Reginald Lewis, who was the first uh, billion, black billionaire uh, in the 80s and 90s. Unfortunately, he passed away in the early 90s. But his autobiography was literally a roadmap, a playbook on how to advance in business, particularly coming from, you know, where we come from, not having, uh, you know, family capital and not having all the traditional advantages some other groups have. So it's an amazing book. I recommend it to everybody, uh, particularly all the young people who I mentor. I always tell them, first thing you do, read that book. Why should, why, why should all the white guys have Why should fun? white guys have all the fun? I like that. Y'all in the comments. Put that in the comments. Make sure you go get that right. book. So uh, when I got out of business school, um, spent some time on Wall Street, and then the plan, my plan and most of my peers' plan was always to leave and become entrepreneurial, to launch our own venture and figure out how to create real value for ourselves. And uh, in my case, um, you know, I left uh, Wall Street in the 2000s okay. and started uh, getting involved in real estate. My original plan was to, you know, hang a shingle and to do asset management, capital raising and advisory. But no one hired me to uh, for, for advisory and no one gave me any money to manage. But a bunch of people knocked on my door and said, hey, you're a Wall Street guy, used to work at Goldman Sachs, can you raise money for me? And uh, I raised money for a few clients who were real estate developers. And I remember um, one day I'm in a closing and I brought like $15 million to this developer's project. And um, I'm sitting there and I'm looking at the closing statement and here I am, this little, you know, just a line item and a fee, but the real money was being created across the table. Mm. And so uh, that was one of uh, the major light bulbs that went off in my life. And I said, you know, I have to figure out how to be on the other side of the table. So after that closing, I made my fee, but I shadowed that developer for two to three years for okay. free, for free. So I could learn that skill set. And that's a very important thing because nowadays, a lot of young people who I encounter say, hey, can I, can, I, can you give me a job? Can you come to work for me? And I say, well, you know, I'm not going to pay you to learn. Right, you have to find a way to um, get into an exchange where you're providing value, and along the way, you're going to pick up a skill set and you're going to learn what I learned. Mm. And that's you know, that's the way I did it, and that's how I encourage other folks to to do it. I'm not going to pay you to learn. Right, you got to figure it out on yeah. your own. Yeah, we're not an educational institution, but they, I I do encounter uh, some young people who get that immediately, and they'll keep their day jobs, and they want to know everything. Can I do this for you? Can I do that for you? Can I? come here with you. Can I learn this kind of, and you know, and there, there's instances where I could give them uh, a task or two or involve them in what we're doing. So they, they increase their knowledge base. And cause you know, what we need to have is, you know, Craig Livingston and Don Peebles and Cheryl McKissick shouldn't be rarities. We should have 10,000 times the amount of uh, black developers that we have in this country. We have that type of runway and we have that type of opportunity now and we really have to bring more of our people particularly young people into commercial real estate well that's exactly why i wanted to have this conversation with you right because my world is more residential based you know more of that first time home buyer first time investor or maybe the mid-level investor mm -hmm. but they're mainly dealing with the residential landscape and this is why i wanted to have you on here to talk about commercial real estate and talk about the importance of black real estate developers, yeah. right? Um, we don't have too many of them, especially at the scale 
of what you and your team is doing, right? So can you um, just elaborate a little bit on why is it important for us to to have more black developers? Okay, this is going to be kind of lengthy, but let me Please. first start by saying, because I, I don't want, <clears throat> when, when folks see this, I want them to know that what, what uh, I did is rudimentary and they can do it too. So I bought my first real estate property while I still had a job. And the first property I bought wasn't, you know, a single family home, uh, as a lot of people do when they think they're pursuing the American dream. I wanted an investment property. And I'm sure you've articulated to your Absolutely. viewership the importance of getting an investment property before you get a property that sucks all your disposable income out of your, out of your pocket every month. Absolutely. You want a property that's going to add income to your, to your uh, life every month. So mm -hmm. I bought a three-family with an FHA loan hmm. while I was still an investment your, fir banker. your first deal. FHA loan. And every month that I owned that property made me between $800 and $1,000. And you were living for free. That was your cash flow. Right. So after six or seven months, I had my investment back. I put out like $6,500, like $130,000 house. I had my six months, seven months, I had my investment back. And then uh, after 18 months, I get a call from the realtor who sold me the property. He said, hey, there's an offer for your, uh, for your home. And uh, so what's the offer? She said, it's, you know, $230,000, $100,000 profit after making profit every month for 18 months. I hung up the phone with her and I swear, this is my exact reaction. I looked around the trading desk that I was on and I, I thought to myself, well, I could do that. Why am I coming here every day? Yeah. And that's the, that's like a major light bulb, another major light bulb that went off in my life. Took that profits and went and bought four more. And went from three families to uh, the development business. Okay. So when I left uh, Wall Street, started my business, like I said, I learned from a developer. And the first property we developed was a um, Marguerite condominium okay. in Harlem. Uh, and it came to market in December of 2009, which was in the middle of the financial collapse. And, you know, I'm an optimist. But even that I was, was a little nervous. That was really in and the I thick thought, of it. I thought for about uh, a week or two, wow, this might have to be a rental. I don't know if we, if we could sell these units. There was no end loan market. No banks were making you know loans to, to purchasers. But we we brought it to market and we had a pretty good sellout. And 16 months, we sold out all of it. Had like a 60 million. How many, how many units total? 73 units. 73 units. We had about a $60 million sellout. And wow. um, it was a you know it was a successful project given what was happening in the macroeconomic environment at that time. Uh, I will say, you know, we ended up getting everything sold by mid-2011. Mm -hmm. And by 2015, every single unit in that building had doubled in price. Wow. Right? So, I mean, that's the power of real estate. Wow. And uh, what that experience did for me, though, it made me think about how can I do real estate in a, in a commercial way, but inoculate ourselves from the uh, economic cycle? There's always ups and downs. I mean, we're going through a recession right now, right? Interest rates have skyrocketed and it's a painful time for real estate, right? And what I found was affordable housing. So affordable housing are public-private partnerships where, uh, you know, developers like myself engage with government and we try to create housing that's affordable to, you know, your school teacher who's married to a, uh, an Uber driver, yeah. right? They, these are hardworking people, uh, working-class Americans but they can't afford to pay four or $5,000 a month for rent. And right now, we have in this country a 7 million unit housing deficit. So let me, let me just 
talk about that for a minute. Seven million units of housing, and most of, practically all of that is really at the middle income tranche because people who are wealthy, who are buying two, three, five, ten, twenty million dollar homes, they can buy whatever they want, whenever they want, right? Seven million homes represents about two and a half trillion dollars of economic opportunity. Wow. So we need to get our young people in this business. So over the next decade, we could be a big part of creating that seven, that two and a half trillion dollars of wealth. Wow. <clears throat> Lots to unpack what you just said. First, you went from a three family <laughs> making $800 a month profit for 18 months, right. got all your initial investment back in six to eight months, sold it, took that 100K profit. After 18 months. After 18 months, purchased four more properties. Right. And then those properties became rentals and was cash flowing for you. And then you say, you know what? I can fire my job and do this full time. That's right. And that, then your first project was in the thick of the financial crisis, the Great Depression, for 73 units on a $63 million, a $63 million sellout. That's right. That's incredible. Right. But it all started with the first deal. It started with the first deal. That's why the, this path is very replicatable. Every, anyone listening to this podcast can do this. I mean, it's like get involved. And I'll just caution people, and I know you talk about it, and I'll just, you know, uh, give my view on it. Whenever you have uh, investment capital and you put that, you take that capital, for instance, and do what most people want to do, they want to go buy that dream house, mm -hmm. right? So if you, I'll just use some, some round numbers. If you have uh, someone making, you know, $50,000 a year, they save up money, they, they do what I did, you know, and, and if they can make an extra um, $1,000 a month in rental income, guess what? They, they just gave themselves a $12,000 raise. raise. That's yeah. over that's over 20% raise. Yeah. You're not getting from your job. You gave it to yourself. And that's income in your pocket. So guess what? It's easier now to go buy the next one because you have more income. You have more assets. And the more you do it, the easier it gets. But if you go and you buy a single family home and you live in it, guess what? All your income goes to pay that mortgage after you pay, um, you know, your other living expenses, and you're not increasing your income. So you have, a, a, you know, a pretty, um, what I think is a pretty simple choice to make. Mm -hmm. You know, after you own two, three, four homes, okay, invest in properties, go buy your luxury property. But you already have assets that are working for you while you're sleeping. You're making money. Absolutely. And now that cash flow can pay for your dream home. That's right. The house that you really want. And that's something I preach all the time with the house hacking strategy. Mm -hmm. It's like if you are a first-time home buyer, or not even, even if you own the property, why not just house hack it? Right. Bring in that capital. Because the house you probably really want, you probably can't afford today right. anyway. Bring in enough cash flow so that way you can live for free. That's right. Um, that's the best way because I preferably believe the American dream is flawed. You know, they want you to get the White House the picket fence, the backyard, have the barbecues and bar mitzvahs, which that's all good, right? But if it's not bringing in no money, then it's just a lot. Well, this gets you locked into the wage slavery system, really. Correct. Right. You want to escape from wage slavery. Wage slavery. Right. I like that. I got to use that one. So let's talk about, all right, so now you're investment banking. You, you, you learned from that first deal. You raised about $15 million. And then you took that expertise and you used it for your first project. Let's talk about structuring deals, right? Mm -hmm. I want to give the people some actionable items and steps on how can they raise capital? Because there's a lot of people out here that may not, that want to do big deals and they may have the knowledge and, and the expertise, but they don't have the capital to right. fund projects, right? So how do you go, like, what are like three steps to raise, you know, that type of money? 
Well, um, let me say this. It's easier to raise 20 million than it is 2 million. Mm, speak on that. You got my attention now. There are uh, folks, investment managers, whose job it is, just like you know, some people may uh, go to Starbucks every morning or they may go to a school and teach. It's their job to invest money on a daily basis. These are institutional investors. And if they have uh, two, $300 million to invest, they can't put it out in $2 million tranches. They want the opportunity to put money into big deals. There was a time when I started my career, and I remember I was raising money from AIG. I was having a conversation with AIG. Mm -hmm. And I went to, I was there having a meeting. I met this gentleman showing him um, a project. And he said, great, but here's the problem. I can't put enough money into it, right? I, I, uh, my mandate, my boss tells me I have to invest $100 million every year. And he said, Craig, if I put out $60 million into five deals and they're all home runs, I failed. Because you and, didn't give, give up and, the $100 million. And, and, and I'm not going to, and, and, and somebody else will have my job. Uh, about a year later, I went back to the AIG to have another conversation with folks. And I went to just knock on his door and say, hello, guess what? He wasn't there. So guess what he didn't do? He didn't, he didn't, he didn't deliver. He didn't put that money out. He didn't deploy that hundred right. million. He didn't put that money out. Because folks in the investment management industry, they make they make their money based on the returns that the deals that they invest in have have generated. So if money's sitting, they're not making money. Mm. Uh but Matt, the, the truth about the institutional investment world is it's not diverse enough. Right. Okay. So that so Don and I and another of our colleagues, we push very hard to increase the diversity in private equity, investment, in, in investment management. We have to stop what is currently the status quo, where 98.3% of the $69 trillion of private equity and venture capital funds are managed by white men. So only 1.3% of that capital is managed by women or people of color. Wow. And that's a mandate that has to be satisfied. And this is something that you, you know, for your viewers, uh, all of the uh, comptrollers and tre your state treasurer, your state comptroller, they have to diversify. Because if they diversify and money is in hands of people who look like you and I, we have greater access because that's where our natural networks are. Absolutely. Right. So, wow. So that going after the investment firms is probably the easiest and quickest way to get your projects funded. Right. Private equity firms, family offices, mm -hmm. um, high net worth individuals, they're out there. If you start knocking on doors, uh, going to conferences, there's, you know, uh, family office conferences all the time. There's a few happening, I think, uh, this month in Manhattan, mm -hmm. but they happen all over the place. And, you know, getting um, in that flow of information is very is what folks do. That was going to be my question. Like, where do you find these people? Because, you know, they're not going to probably find them in your local Starbucks, right? Um, where, where where else can you find them besides these type of networking events? Like, how, how does, like, someone like myself, for example, like, I'm around the world. I'm moving right. and shaking, right? Mm -hmm. Like, how do I find these high net worth individuals, these investment banking firms, besides the networking event you right. just So mentioned. you're gonna start with uh, the folks you know in the investment world. So many people may have like a broker or uh, they may be doing business, say uh, they may have a Merrill Lynch account or a, um, you know an investment account somewhere. I would say if you have to start, first start with the people who you know are in the business mm -hmm. and you have to tell them, listen, this is what I wanna do, I wanna raise this amount of capital. You may not know them today, but 
someone you know knows them. So the more you talk about what you're doing, what your deals are, the amount of capital you need, you have to mine your network and you can get plugged into. So someone, let's say if you had a broker at, uh, you know, uh, Merrill Lynch and you said, hey, you know, I want to do this real estate deal that I'm buying this. He might say, well, I have a I have a high net worth client who's looking to invest in real estate or, um, you know, there's a family office that we did some business with last year and they're looking for real estate. And as you, you know, and you build that network over time and you'll get there and you should ultimately want to have three, four, five, six different people you can talk to when you need to raise capital, you know, knock on those doors. When I was in business school, uh, one of the first classes I ever took, the professor said to me, he said, don't worry about raising money. Worry about good ideas. Mm. Money will find good ideas. It sounds crazy, but it's exactly true. Money will find good ideas. Yeah. I like that. That is very true. Now, if the proper way to go about this is you have to have your deal secured already. Yeah. Like you can't really go in there like, hey, I want to do X, Y, and right. Z. You need to have the land secured, the right. property secured, right. if it's going to be a teardown. You need to have all that secured, have your architect plans drawn up. So you have to come out of pocket. Right. You have to spend some at-risk capital. Yeah. You have to put, 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 put forth some pursuit costs. And the other thing you're going to have to do is have a little bit of a track record, right? Because no one's going to say, here's $5 million dollars figure it out. They're going to want to know that you got it figured out and mm -hmm. you've demonstrated the acumen to execute on a deal and get it done. So uh, what that means is if you have to develop that track record, sometimes invest along with somebody, be involved. Like you heard me talk about raising money for a developer and I stuck with him for three yeah. years so I could learn. Absolutely. Right. So um, I was able to, when I wanted to get going, I was able to say, hey, I was involved in this deal and I did X, Y, Z and I can point out all the activities I did and, you know, my involvement in the deal, one deal led to two deals, two deals at the four, and it just... And it just ballooned like that. That's right. Interesting. So now you put out your capital, you have your project, now you go raise raise money. Mm -hmm. Are you still working with banks? Are you are you getting financing yes. from lenders? We are. So let me, let me say this. So a lot like... 80% of what we do at my firm today are public-private partnerships. We do a lot of affordable housing. We do like um, we do things with RFPs. We have a project in Harlem, uh, the Victoria Tower, which brought the first new full-service hotel to Harlem in 80 years. Wow. Uh, it's adjacent to the Apollo. There's 210 um, hotel rooms in one tower. The second tower has 190 apartments that we did in a 50 30-20 configuration, which is 50% okay. market rate, 30% low income, and 20% middle income. We have a cultural arts facility with two black box theaters that will be operated by the Apollo th Theater themselves. And there's office space. Then there's retail. There's 400,000 square feet in this one little, you know, 15,000 square foot um, plot. Wow. But when you look at that deal, right, it's a highly structured deal. We raised capital. I raised it from a firm I used to work at, Goldman Sachs. We came in, they have a, uh, a group there called the Urban Investment Group that takes on very um, transformative risk. They're bold in their approach and they engage with um, people like myself to responsibly develop these types of assets that improve communities. And so when we were doing that, you know, we had to bring some capital, but um, we were able to leverage things like low-income housing tax credits, okay. right? which is capital that comes into a deal. Uh, the, and you have an institutional investor who puts it up. And what they get from it is they get a tax credit from the government over time.
to offset some of their tax liability. So we were able to monetize stuff like that. Then there were other, there was some real equity in that deal. We went out and raised some debt. And then there was some other special government type of capital. We love to do that type of business. Capital stacks. Capital stacks. We have a highly structured capital stack because, uh, and, I, and I'm going, I know I'm going very fast here. No, nah, you're good. They're going to gonna have to keep up. All right. <laughs> uh, but we, we love to do highly structured deals because that's where you're going to generate the best returns. Mm. Right. Whenever, you know, there's a movie, Schindler's List. Schindler's List. And Liam Neeson was in the movie. And there's this line where he says, in some businesses I've lost money, in some businesses I've made money. I've never done as good as when I have the government as a partner. Mm, you've never done as good when you have the government as a partner. Yeah. Why is that? Because government invests for outcome, right? You tell me the last time you see a government project fail. Never. That's why. Never. You answered my question. Yeah. Smart move. So get the government as your partner, get the banks as your partner, get the institutional investors as your partner, right. and get high net worth individuals as your partner, and that completes your capital stack. That's right. OPM, other people's money. Essentially. <laughs> so essentially, you guys are going into these projects, putting little money out of your pocket as possible, and making... Well, to the point that you made, you know, we, we have to put the capital out mm -hmm. to get that project to fruition. We have to be able to get it to a closing table. So okay. the closing tables, whenever you can go uh, and get a construction loan and actually start building, right? But before that happens, you have to purchase the land. You have to uh, have an architect develop plans. There's a whole bunch of surveys that have to be done, environmental reports, um, you know, a whole bunch of work that goes into getting it there. And... Um, that's the at-risk capital that you, you're going to put out. But once you get to the closing table, the real large tranches of capital come in from your lenders, from your investors, et cetera. Now, typically, how long does it take? You know, once you get to the closing table, you secure the property, you have your project. How long does it take to now secure the rest of your capital stack? Like if you go into an institutional investor and you present your project, like how long does it typically take them to underwrite that? So that underwriting process is, is happening during what we call pre-development. Okay. So when I say I'm going to buy that building or buy that piece of property, um, I already have a business plan. I already know how we want to monetize it. Okay. And I know that, you know, this lender would like it for that reason. So I'm going to bring this deal over there. These three lenders over here aren't interested. It's not in their footprint. It's not consistent with uh, their investment uh, strategy for this year or whatever the reason is. Uh, same thing with um, that's lenders, that's investors. And that capital is basically assembled on the way to the closing table. Okay. So while the architects are working, we're we're raising capital. We're, we're structuring operating agreements. We're negotiating uh, debt instruments. We're doing all the work that goes into it. We get to the closing table. And at that point, that's... When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt. A classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old. 
soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow, but I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but if you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com slash Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. All the commitments are made, all the capital is flowing in, and we're, we're putting shovels in the ground and building something. Immediately after Immediately. Closing. Incredible. Let's talk about some of your projects that you have going now. Um, you have something wonderful going on in, in Atlanta. Oh, let's do it. Let's talk about that. So, uh, you know, Atlanta is a phenomenal market. Um, I'm really impressed with uh, the velocity in that market. I call it Wakanda. It is. <laughs> the velocity in that market's amazing, and it's a very diverse market. And mm -hmm. I think Atlanta in particular, uh, because you had people like Maynard Jackson who set the trend way back when, it has more fairly allocated economic opportunity, more so than even here in New York. Um, just two weeks ago, uh, MARTA, which is the train, train uh, uh, system in Atlanta, awarded an RFP-led uh, to a, t to a team that was led by uh, the People's Organization and Exact Capital. We have um, Don Washington and Bostoro Partners and uh, Third and Urban as well as our other local partners. But we're going to be building 1.2 million square feet wow. uh, at the Bankhead train station, which is going to be adjacent to a 90-acre campus that Microsoft is developing. Wow! So it's an amazing, amazing project. We'll have uh, 495 units of... Uh, housing, mixed income housing. So there'll be some affordable housing there. We'll have a hotel and an office building. But again, tremendous opportunity. And, you know, we were already in Atlanta uh, developing there. Years ago, we bought a parcel of land and we're already in construction on 250 units on the Beltline that will be delivered at the end of 2023. Mm -hmm. We're looking at, you know, even do more in that market. So there's no project. How long is that going to take to be delivered? That will take, uh, well, we haven't, we, we've just awarded. So we, there's some negotiations that we have to go through. Uh, we will probably be in negotiations and pre-development for call it a year or two, and then two to three years of development. So, you know, it's a five-year 
uh, exercise. So all development projects at a scale typically would take, you know, a five, seven year window from start to finish. You're talking, it could be, so, I mean, if you buy a piece of land and you just, you know, do a market rate type of strategy, you could probably get it done three years, start to finish. Uh, the public-private partnerships are a little bit more complex because there's a lot more voices at the table, a lot more approval processes that have to go through, um, you know, different levels of government review uh, and, and authorizations. But it's well worth it because we get we have the privilege of being able to transform a lot of urban landscapes, which are our communities, in the way in which we can create opportunity for other black and brown companies to participate. Mm. So, because I know people, when they, when they watch this, they're going to ask this. How do you guys make money while you're going through this process? It's a, it, Real estate development is a capital-intensive exercise. It takes a lot of capital. That's why we have to raise uh, third-party capital to, in order to do it. Because if we had to, if we only were able to do projects based on only our funds, mm -hmm. we would not be able to grow right because growth is expensive the average project we're going to do these days is going to be 70 80 100 million dollars right so you think about you have three or four of those going at the same time it's a lot of capital that's a lot of capital yeah. right so um and we don't want to sit still and wait for one project to get done to take those those proceeds and recycle them we, we're trying to grow so we want to do a lot of projects we have another 240 units in construction in columbia south carolina Mm. Uh, we have a deal, small deal in Newark, New Jersey, which is a very important deal, though. Uh, we were able to take a dilapidated set of buildings in an um, area of Newark that we will be renovating and turning into 75 units of new, newly renovated, green, clean, decent, affordable housing. And again, that was only made possible because we had the support of uh, Mayor Ross Baraka, right? And this was also important to him. It was important to the citizens of Newark, and uh, we got involved. And we're moving forward. We should be closing that deal in, you know, another sixty to ninety days. Mm. Uh, we have eight hundred and fifty units in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, that we bought about fifteen months ago. That we're going to renovate and turn into uh, an affordable housing complex. And we're and we're always looking at more and more deals. We're building in Harlem right now, fifty-two units of affordable home ownership. Right. Mm. And why that's important to us is because Harlem, the capital of black America, Absolutely. is no longer black. Black. Not at all. Right. So you've had all this institutional capital go into the market, all this government capital go into the market. And uh, it, it's funded, you know, the creation of um, a bunch of affordable housing. But what we didn't do is create enough home ownership opportunities so that the people who uh, grew up in the neighborhood, mm -hmm. who have an organic connection to Harlem, could come back there and live there affordably, right? And not be a renter. And so they're buying in Jersey, they might be buying in Long Island, Pennsylvania. But uh, they can't afford Harlem. But they can't afford Harlem anymore. Yeah. So we have to intentionally make sure we create opportunities for folks to own Harlem, to so, own Atlanta. So how, how do you guys go about doing that? How do you intentionally make it to where black people can stay in Harlem and afford to stay in Harlem? Again, that's a public-private partnership. So the city of New York has a program, and we want to see the city doing a lot more of this in our communities. Uh, but they have this particular program we took advantage of that allow, allowed us to build uh, these two buildings, one's on 140th Street, one's on 150th Street, 
and we're um, they're, they're going to be new condominiums. And you think about it, I mean, just on average, you're talking about like a three bedroom condo in Harlem for like three hundred thousand. It's unheard of. That's unheard of, right? But it's intentional. You have to create that home ownership because we're doing it for that uh, Uber driver who's married to a school yeah. teacher. They have to be able to afford it. Absolutely, we want them to live there. The fire, we want the fire, kids yeah. to live there. The policemen, right? Yeah. And so we look. We, we're looking for opportunities to do more of that type of stuff. We have um, some other op opportunities that we're in discussions with, with other other municipalities to do the same thing, uh, where we want to create more affordable home ownership and keep our people in our communities and help to, you know like you know have the right type of gentrification gentrification is not necessarily always bad but it's bad when it displaces absolutely uh the you know the the community and doesn't make a provision for everybody particularly people who've been there through some of the bad times to participate in you know all the appreciation and the upside that's happening now i agree with that i don't think gentrification is bad at all right. i think you want the neighborhoods to change you right. don't want the neighborhoods to be run down you don't want homelessness you don't want right. drug addicts you don't want any of that stuff you want the starbucks right. you want but you also don't want your people who's been there like you said forever to not be able to afford it no more so i i commend you guys right. for definitely doing that let's talk about scaling because you're buying properties all over the place you know from harlem you said oklahoma city you got atlanta new jersey newark new jersey like how are you guys sourcing these deals like I noticed you're not working with a regular realtor, right? Like, how are you guys scaling your business to 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 develop at this level? So uh, I'll tell you, in our deal that's in construction in Atlanta, we're invited in by a group that had purchased that property. They had a vision, but they needed some help to execute on the vision. So we happily partnered with them. I'm very big into partnerships, right? And I think you know we said this uh, in Atlanta at InvestFest, and I'll tell you. When I see another black developer, I don't see a competitor. I see a potential partner. Absolutely. Okay. So we're invited in to our project in People's Town that's on the Beltline on Hank Aaron Drive. Uh, there's another local developer uh, that bought the North Leg. They partnered with Georgia State. They bought the North Leg of um, Hank Aaron Drive. They're, Georgia State is using uh, Turner Field where the Braves used to play their athletic facilities. The local developers building student housing. They're building office buildings, but they're not. They weren't creating any residential to help, you know, uh, yeah. that community to be transformed. So we bought the South Leg uh, with uh, that that partner invited us in, and we're in construction on 250 units. We're going to do more down the road uh, in Columbia, South Carolina. Again, we're invited in, and I think the more that we, the more deals that we do, people hear about us. They approach us for partnerships. And where we can, uh, we'd love to you know make those deals happen and create win-win situations. Good question. That was leads to my next question. How do you know what's a win-win situation for you when you're creating these partnerships? Because everybody has a deal. Everybody says, "Hey, I have this, I have that." But how do you know? Like, all right, this is the one. All right. So we just we we have, you know we're very good at underwriting. Remember, I'm a former investment banker. My partner is also a former uh, uh, Wall Street guy. So uh, our to be a good real estate developer, you need three things, right? You need mm -hmm. great financial acumen, great communication skills, and great project management. So the more you do it, it becomes, you know, I'm not going to say it's exactly routine, but we know what to look for. We want the opportunity to be able to impact and transform a community the right way. We want to be able to create some affordable housing or ideally mixed income housing where you have some affordable units, some market rate units combined together so you can build a real 
socioeconomic diverse community. Because if you build 100% low income all in one place, it's very nice, but it's all 100% low income. I want some of those kids to see a doctor and to see an accountant, right? Uh, go to work every morning, see a business owner and understand that there's a connection that they have organically from their community to those role models. Uh. So that's very important. So um, we also, you know, we underwrite deals and we know what the rents will look, will look like in a particular market. We know what the operating costs look like in a particular market. And, you know, there's a an amount of money that has to be invested. If, if that deal can create the right return metric that we need, we like it. I love it. And we can, and the other thing is we like to, you know, be able to mitigate risks. How do you mitigate your risk? Uh, well, you have to be very careful, right? So the biggest risk over the past few years has been uh, construction costs that have really ballooned and escalated. And there's ways to do that. We structure projects. For instance, we have... Um, deals where we'll hire a general contractor, we'll have, have them put up a payment and performance bond so that if anything happened to them, if a sub uh, went out of business or walked away, uh, there's a bonding company, surety company that ensures the construction of that project so mm. we can ensure that it gets done. The other thing we do is we like to have a, a guaranteed maximum price contract where that GC that we partner with uh, is on the hook to deliver that product at, at that the, price. At that price. Yeah, you can't come back. No, and so there's usually yeah. they're usually a little bit more expensive because they like to inoculate themselves from the volatility in the construction market. But it gives us a certain level of certainty that what we're paying for is going to be delivered. And you know all your numbers up front. Know all numbers up front. And you're not saying here playing a guessing because contractors would do that on any level. No. You know they'll tell oh, we, you we, one price and they no. come back ten percent more. We got we got lawyers upon lawyers upon lawyers, right? So we structure our contracts very tightly. Um, we don't like to be litigious, but there are times when sometimes we have to, and you know. Um, you got to do what you got to do. You got to you got to protect you got to protect the motherhouse. Yeah. So let me ask you this, right? So I want to talk about for the first time developer. If I'm looking to get into development, because you talk about you got lawyers upon lawyers, right? Who should we have on our team to make sure that we're running efficiently okay. as real estate developers? Right. Let's talk about like a first time commercial development. To make it simple. Yeah. Okay? So you need a good architect, right? And um, Good does not mean expensive. It means thoughtful, someone who pays attention to detail and is professional. Uh, and if you get a black architect, even better, right? Mm -hmm. um, then you need to have a bunch of third-party things done. So you got to get your appraisals done, get your surveys done, your environmental reports. Uh, and that's those are costs that you're going to spend out of your own pocket. But you got to get those done. Any lender who's doing business with you is going to want to see those. We call those third-party reports, mm -hmm. right? Um, and you need a good lawyer. Okay, your good your lawyer should have real estate experience. If you're out, if, if for the folks who are you know getting involved in the business, the lawyer who you who your your cousin who's a lawyer, who it's not probably not gonna work. That's not the guy. Yeah, right? unless he's a real estate lawyer, right? Mm -hmm. But the, you, know, you know, just saying, hey, uh, you know, you're a lawyer, but he's a labor lawyer. It's not yeah, your guy. It's not your right? guy. Yeah, you want a lawyer who has demonstrated track record of being a real estate attorney. Uh, it's a good idea to maybe talk to a couple of clients, make sure you represented them well. Because no no professional says, yeah, let me tell you about the five times I screwed my clients. Yeah, basically. Right? Yeah. They're, they're all selling you to get new business, business yeah. in the door. So you want to do your homework. Um, and then you need to be very thoughtful, particularly in the early days. Pay attention to everything because you're really learning everything. And 
you have to uh, abide by uh, crawl, walk, run, right? Learn to crawl, learn to walk, learn to run. The more success you get, the more success comes and the more success you can generate. Crawl, walk, run. So don't, so don't <laughs> come out the gate, your first project, try to make it a $250 million project. No. Maybe you want to start with something smaller just to get your feet wet. Maybe a $10 million project or a $5 right. million that's project. Right. Something that's small, something that you can manage, you can make your mistakes on and then keep moving from Matt, there. Matt, if you remember, I told you, I started with a three-family in the FHA loan, Correct. right? It's the mechanics of doing that and doing what I do now, 60% the same. Okay. So if you learn those fundamentals, uh, you can get off, you know, get on the right track. And then the other activities above that, you know, you learn along the way too. We've been at this for quite a while. It's just now that we're starting to do nine-figure projects. We didn't start out the gate doing nine-figure projects or doing an affirmation tower. Like we have to drink milk and grow. Mm. Drink milk and grow. I'm gonna use that one. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. Drink milk and grow. Speaking yeah. of affirmation tower, let's talk about the affirmation mm -hmm. tower. Where are you guys at right now with this project? Because when we spoke at Invest Fest, you're still going through the motions with the governor. Right. Is, are you guys still in the same position? We are still intently focused on affirmation tower. I mean, okay. that project uh, is an opportunity to make an international statement about Black economic development. And to have the first skyscraper in New York City and the country developed by black developers. So uh, Don Peebles, Cheryl McKissick, and myself remain intently focused on it. Uh, we have our team is still intact. Mm -hmm. The RFP has not been reissued yet. And as you know, there's a, a governor's race yep. happening right now. There's an election. Yeah. And uh, you know, six months ago, if you asked me, it looked like this was Governor Hochul's race to win. Now, listen. It's up in the air. It's a toss up. And um, so whoever is at the leadership of the government in January of 2023, we will be advocating very strongly for the reissuance of this RFP so that we can win it and get to business. Do you think that will happen? Or do you think they're going to continue to try to block you guys from doing the affirmation tower. You know, why they're blocking, I don't know. You know, but um, if you think about this struggle that we're in, um, it pales in comparison to the struggles with, with our ancestors and those who came before me had to do to make me possible, right? Mm -hmm. So we're, we, we will not relent at all. Man, what can we do to help you guys? Like we have a, you know, I, I like to say a fairly big platform mm -hmm. and growing. You know, is there anything that we can do on our end to kind of put, you know, friendly, nice pressure on them reissuing? Well, I mean, RFP. our elected officials need to understand that um, the black voter um, cares about economics, right? We care about economic development. Uh, we, at my firm, at Don's firm, Michelle's firm, and a lot of my colleagues in New York City, we're intentional about uh, awarding contracts to people who look like us. So if you look at your average black developer, he has a much higher, he or she has a much higher propensity to have an architect, an mm -hmm. accountant, an attorney, a mason, an electrician, a plumber, a painter, you name it. All black. Who are black, 
right? And and not that it's all black, but we're we're 60, 70% black. I talked to you about the Victoria Tower in Harlem. We spent over $35 million with, with, with minority companies on that project. One project. That's beautiful. That's meaningful, right? Affirmation Tower will spend over a billion dollars of contracting with minority companies. And we need to see a lot more of that. So what can be done, if your uh, viewers make sure they inform their elected officials how important economics are and that they, if they, you know, if they have their own company and they have the ability to work with a, a, a developer, it starts by us being awarded and then we are feeding that ecosystem and we're all participating and rising together. Absolutely. Right? But we can't, we can no longer allow uh elected officials to pander to us you know they're in the church yeah they pander they they come in the church during election season give a great speech and we love the speech oh, yeah. yeah great speech We're motivated but nothing changes nothing happens nothing changes for us our schools still suck right in our uh -huh. community uh when you look at the the rates of poverty uh homelessness uh you know any meaningful metric We've not made progress in 50 years. Yeah. And I think that if you look at all the problems that we have in our community, we don't really have all those individual problems. We have an economic problem. Because if our economics were right, everything else would be solved. Absolutely. Right. 1,000% agree with that. Right. We're tired of the pandering, the shucking and jiving. Right. Like, give us, you promised us, get, make it happen. Right. You know, it's um pretty terrible. Now, I want to... I know you're a busy man, so I'm not going to hold you up too long. We've been we've been at this for almost 50 minutes. Okay. Um, so I want to ask you about the current climate that we're in. We're in a recession or going into recession. Mm -hmm. The feds are hell-bent on flight and inflation. Right. Um, we just had a raise, um, 75 basis points. It's probably going to be another raise. Mm -hmm. um, what are your thoughts as far as continuing to invest into real estate? Because a lot of people out there are scared. Um, especially when it comes to real estate, people saying the housing market is going to crash. This is going to happen. What are your thoughts? So uh, John Rockefeller said, buy, buy when there's blood on the streets. Mm. Okay. Uh, so let's just talk about that. If you, so first of all, why real estate makes sense? Look, real estate is not Enron. It's not cryptocurrency. It's not an NFT. There's intrinsic value because people have to live somewhere. They, they need, you're, you're providing people with shelter a roof over their heads, a place to raise their families. And there's value to that and they pay for it every single month, right? So the volatility in the market, because interest rates are higher, is, an, is really an opportunity. So if you can buy a property now and make the math work at 7% interest rates, how does that property work when, when we're back to 3 and 4% interest rates? What I learned from my time on Wall Street is the companies that invest in the downturn have a leg up when things come back to normal and they do very well. And that's really been the key to what we've done at, at Exact Capital. We uh, invest heavily during the downturns and we flourish uh, when economic cycles turn up. Mm. Don't wait to buy real estate, buy real estate and wait basically. Yeah, exactly. That's a great way to say it. Yeah. Because you can always, you can change. I mean- You can always refi. The cost of capital, capital is the biggest input into any of these. Right. So if you go from you, you're a mortgage professional, you know, mm -hmm. if you go from a 7% rate to a 4% rate. Yeah. You save a 3% interest. You're, you're killing it's, it. It's a home run. You're killing it. Yeah. Right. So if you can make it work now, even if it's not cash flowing, but if, if, if the numbers work and it pays for itself at 7%, do it. Do it. And then when it gets to 
5% refi, when it gets to 4% refi, it gets to 3% refi, and that money's going in your pocket, it's going into your investment account, it allows you to buy more real estate, keep it up. Well, also from a tax perspective also, yeah. you know, and this tax is free. <laughs> tax free, right? <laughs> and then also what I try to tell people is, look, it doesn't matter if the rates are seven, eight, nine percent right now. Right. You got to think about the tax play right. when it comes to real estate depreciation and right. cost segregation and bonus depreciation and all these wonderful things D that you can do. I say D, all the above. <laughs> Every single one. I mean, there's Everything. so many, there's so many benefits, man. But we, like I said, there's a two and a half trillion dollar opportunity right now. Cause it's seven million units. Cause we need seven million housing units to that's just today. It was. It's going to take ten years, fifteen years to build that. Over that time, we're going to need, probably need another seven million, right? So we need to see our community wake up to real estate, get heavily involved in real estate, and get wealthy from real estate. We have to participate. Yeah. We know we can no longer be on the sidelines. Yeah. So I was saying this earlier before you know we got on camera. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Black Americans in Black Americans have a $1.7 trillion annual spending power. That alone makes us the 12th largest economy in the world. We got to get it together. Start to work together and, and you know, get this wealth game up. Yeah. And real estate, to me, is like the road. It is the road. To build wealth. Yeah. Right? Real, real estate is not, you know, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not rocket science. It's a pretty fundamental formula. Yeah, it's ABC one two three. Once yeah. you understand the numbers and the the language of it, anybody can really buy real estate and right. get rich and ultimately become wealthy off of it. I mean, this was a phenomenal conversation. Any partner words you got for us? Because you dropped a lot of gems in tonight. Man, I just want to say I'm really proud. I, I, I big respect to you. Thank what you. you're doing, man. Because like I said, with that 1.7 trillion dollars of spending power, what we don't have is collaboration. We're not sharing enough information and knowledge with each other. So what you're doing, uh, what um, you know, uh, EYL is doing, man, it's, it's amazing. It's never been done before. So I'm a big fan and you know, thank you. No, thank you. We, we, we appreciate your kind words and thank you for coming. Um, on, I know you're busy as hell and I know this wasn't um, part of the schedule. Originally we had to reschedule right. this down at third. So I thank you for accommodating us and coming here and just giving us information because people in your position like we don't know how to find people in your position and i'm glad the platform has opened it up so we now can have folks like you spread your intellectual property and give hope and inspiration to folks who want to become developers and want to go into that commercial real estate i know me i'm inspired every time i hear you guys talk i'm like damn i really need to do more commercial real estate and get out the residential space so thank you for your time and thank you for being here how can people find you uh, get on, get me on. on um, I'm so I know social media is all out there. I'm really on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. That's where I really focus. Okay, I got a little Instagram account, a little Facebook account. I don't do much there, but LinkedIn is where I'm at. LinkedIn. One, one Tell one. me your LinkedIn. Craig Livingston. There you have it, y'all. <laughs> Make sure y'all tap in with Craig uh, on LinkedIn. This was an incredible episode. Drop some gems in the comments. Again, shout out to Zillow um, for sponsoring this episode. And look, we'll see you next week. All right. This is Matt Garland, NMLS number 58700, or better known as MG the Mortgage Guy. Peace.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. 